Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. So we've talked about Pimphigus before in other episodes of the podcast, but I wanted to just do a quick little refresher on feline pimphigus. I've actually had a run of feline pimphigus cases in the clinic and have been asked quite a few questions about uh, suspected feline pimphigus on social media and in my group, the Derm Nerds. So I figured I would address it a bit more specifically for this species. So remember, pimphigus foliaceus, it's an autoimmune disease where we see uh, antibodies developed against the desmosomes. So it is the interconnections between skin cells. So if you think of keratinocytes and little arms between each keratinocyte that reach out and grab on, onto one another, the body's essentially attacking those connections. So those arms are being attacked. And when we talk about things like acantholytic keratinocytes, those are just skin cells. They are keratinocytes that have prematurely lifted because of the bodies attacking um, to those desmosomes. So in general, pemphigus is actually, uh, it starts as a pustular disease, but what we see is that those pustules are really fragile. And so often when owners actually notice the disease process and bring the animal to the veterinarian, they become crusted because that pustule is essentially broken open and then the body crusts over. So I would say in cats, I almost never actually see pustules. I'll find it in dogs sometimes, but it's possible that you could see that. Um, but mostly you'll just see crusty cats. And so thinking about cats specifically clinically with this disease. So when I see a cat who has pemphigus, um, there's kind of three main areas that I generally see them affected. Um, so if you follow my social media page, you know that claw folds are a big area that are specific for feline pemphigus. So if I see a claw fold with a lot of purulent debris, this is very different than dogs my mind actually goes to pemphigus before it goes to something like infection from allergies. Not that it can't happen, but it's just not as common. We very much more um, commonly see swelling and periodontal debris in cat claw folds from pemphigus foliaceus. So the claw folds, um, mammary glands, so actually around the nipples, you'll sometimes see some erythema or crusting, and then the pinna. So you'll often see a lot of thick adherent crusting affecting the pinna, and sometimes these cats can actually be pretty uncomfortable and itchy. You can see other areas too. So you can still see the nasal planum affected. Um, you can see the face affected. And sometimes it can be really difficult to tell the difference between a cat with pemphigus and a cat that, you know, if they don't have those swollen claw folds, if they're just kind of crusty all over, that can be hard to tell apart from a cat that just has um, an infection from some other underlying cause. Um, but in general, if you see claw folds, the pinna or mammary glands with a lot of crust, um, I would definitely have pemphigus on your differential list. As far as diagnostics go, 
I'm always going to say to cytology, and you often can be lucky and find some acantholytic keratinocytes under the microscope, but cats can be a little bit stingy with their acantholytic keratinocytes. Um, maybe you'll find one, maybe two. Um, if you're finding rafts of them, that's probably a pretty severe pemphigus case. But sometimes in cats, they won't exfoliate their acantholytic keratinocytes that well. And so you'll just see a really heavy neutrophilic population, maybe some eosinophils, and you won't see much bacteria. And if you're seeing a lot of neutrophils and not much bacteria, then I would definitely be thinking of something like pemphigus or potentially you could see something like dermatophytosis. Um, the dermatophytosis often has a pyogranulomatous inflammation, so you'll see some macrophages too, but cats could definitely just have a neutrophilic population with either of those diseases, and they are really important to differentiate between. Um, so doing something like a DTM or a DTM slash PCR to rule out dermatophyte in a case um, of suspected pemphigus is definitely not a wrong step. So in cytology, maybe do DTM, PCR, maybe Sanscrape if you are worried that it could be a cat with something like, you know, Demodex or Notoedres. Um, but then ultimately these cats do need to be biopsied. Um, that's going to give your most definitive diagnosis. This is a disease I would especially recommend sending biopsies to a dermatopathologist because again, sometimes cats are really hard to diagnose. Sometimes they don't give as much acantholytic keratinocytes. Um, since they don't tend to have the pustules, you don't get that really easy um, pustule to diagnose with lots of acantholytic keratinocytes. Um, sometimes the disease has been going on for a long time. So you get more degenerative, old, crusty lesions, and it can be really hard to find those keratinocytes within the old degenerative crusts. If the crust falls off when uh, you collect the biopsy, absolutely. These are cases where you need to submit that crust because that might have the answer for you. And I've done some pe previous episodes all about tips on biopsy, but this is especially a time where you're going to want to make sure um, you don't prep these samples ahead of time. We want the crust. Um, we keep our biopsies dirty. You want to make sure you're collecting all of that material and you do not want to sterilely prep before you collect a biopsy because you are probably going to wipe away your answer. So make sure you're submitting all of those. Make sure you're um, collecting numerous biopsy sites to give your pathologist a better chance to get you a diagnosis. If you get a diagnosis of pemphigus foliaceus, then the hallmark treatment is going to be corticosteroids. So starting them on some form of steroids, whether it's prednisolone, methylprednisolone. There was one paper that maybe was suggestive that oral trimcinolone might have um, a little bit better of an effect, but I've seen response to any of those steroids, just depending on the cat, um, if they don't tolerate a steroid well, or they're not responding to a certain steroid, you could always try changing the steroid. Sometimes changing the steroid can um, help and certain cats will respond to some steroids better than others. But in general, depending on the severity of the case, you're going to probably need to go into some form of immunosuppressive uh, steroid dosing to get them under control. So, you know, for prednisolone, you know, one to two, maybe a little bit over two mg per kg daily, um, maybe split between BID. 
And then tapering really depends on the severity of the case. I like to try to see them um, after a couple weeks if I can to decide how to taper. Um, but ultimately, I do want them to be able to get to anti-inflammatory doses, if not lower doses of steroids every other day, um, even less if they're great responders for long-time use. And I do monitor their lab work, um, CBC Chem UA, at least every six months if they're on chronic steroids. If they can't get lower than that, or they're not responsive to steroids, then we absolutely need to add something in. And I think that cats can respond really well to cyclosporin or atopica with their pemphigus. Um, so I'll start them anywhere from five to seven megs per keg daily, just to see if they tolerate it and if they do seem responsive to it. Now, cyclosporin can take a while to work. So I still usually have them on a steroid if, if they can be, if there's not a contraindication to it while we're starting the cyclosporin, just to make sure they're, you know, somewhat controlled or comfortable while we're starting it. But my ultimate goal is over the next month or two to see if we can taper the steroid down. Some cats can end up just on something like cyclosporin. Some cats need a combination. So maybe adding something like cyclosporin in gets us to the point that we only need steroid a couple times a week or a much more acceptable long-term dosing. And then sometimes you get cats that are really difficult and unfortunately they won't respond to, you know, steroids or cyclosporin. So then you may have to turn to other medications like Lucaran, which do require a lot of blood work monitoring to assure um, their bone marrow is handling it okay. There's some reports of using doxycycline um, so for some benefit. Um, I personally haven't had a case just respond to that, but sometimes people will use it with other medications. But you have to be careful with cats. They either need the doxycycline to be um, compounded into a liquid or you have to make sure they're chasing with water to avoid esophageal stricture. And I feel like if you're getting to the point where steroids and atopica, you know, they're being difficult cases, um, those ones can be really, really frustrating and hard. So if you can refer them to a dermatologist, um, I, I mean, a lot of times it's good to refer them to a dermatologist just right away because some of them can be hard, but especially if they're not initially responding to therapy, um, we want to make sure we're careful because we don't want these cats on high doses of steroids just with the risk of things like diabetes. Um, but ultimately, if you do find a combination of therapies that the cat tolerates and controls their disease, they can live normal lives. They can do extremely well. Um, so it's something that once we figure out the combination that works for them, um, then they can essentially have the life of a normal cat just with some derm rechecks in between. I hope that's helpful. Um, answering some of your questions about feline pemphigus is it is the disease as far as autoimmune diseases go in cats. I feel like we do see more frequently than others. Um, and they can be extremely rewarding to get under control and you can provide an amazing quality of life for your patients.